You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, verse 32. Matthew 15, verse 32. And while you're turning there, I've got three overlapping stories uh, that intersect at the provisions of the Lord. Uh, and, and some of you who come on Wednesday nights at 6.30 to our prayer meetings, uh, you may have heard me share this before, but more than 25 years ago, I quit FedEx to go on staff as a pastor at, uh, one of the associate pastors at First Baptist Church, uh, New Albany, Mississippi. And when I, you know, when you quit one job uh, and go to another, you lose your insurance, right? And so uh, we were looking at maternity riders. We actually had the riders out on the desk for y'all that don't know what those are. It's just an addendum to your existing Cobra insurance, whatever I had in transition as a 21-year-old, 22-year-old, however old I was. And, uh, but meanwhile, surprise, uh, against all odds, came our daughter Shiloh. <laughs> and, uh, and Vicky actually, uh, in that pregnancy, after Shiloh was born, it was, it was kind of a trepidatious uh, pregnancy. Uh, she got postpartum toxemia. You know, her lungs were filling up with fluid and she almost drowned. And she had to be hospitalized at Baptist East Hospital an hour away from our church uh, for a couple weeks. And we ran up quite the tab. All right. So story one we're in debt because we didn't have any insurance for our little baby. Story two, God in the meantime, as I was about to graduate from Blue Mountain College, uh, I, we were, God was calling us, ironically, to New York. Uh, Mid-America in Memphis has an, had a northeast branch up there in Al Schenectady, Albany area. And so uh, we were getting ready to move. So we had sold half of everything we owned. We were literally getting to step ready to step out on faith even though we're in debt we don't have any money and i mean we had like 82 dollars in the bank and i'm not exaggerating and we owed the bank tons of money story number two we're headed to new york for seminary story number three walter walter is uh i say he's an older man but he was about my age now when i was in my 20s so he was older to me and uh he had lost his job as an accountant he didn't have the degree so it was hard for a 50-something-year-old guy to go out and find another job without the degree. And so he had begun to drink heavily. He was one of our deacons at our church. And, uh, and it was getting bad. He was in danger of losing his home. And instead of those deacons booting him out, you know, they kidnapped him. They went to his house and knocked on his door, said, come get in a car. And those men took him up out in the woods. And they said, Walter, we don't know what you're doing with your life, but we're doing it with you. All right, and they didn't mean a, a drunken party. They meant uh, they meant we're we're here to be walk beside you through this this trial that you're in. And the Lord blessed God uh, was able to give Walter a job. He came out of that hole of depression and and alcohol abuse, and the Lord blessed him. And his kids were in our were, the, were in my youth group. I was a youth pastor there. Now here's where the intersect comes in. It's I believe the day we were getting ready to leave that parsonage. We had resigned. We were going to New York, sold half of everything, and we're just going on faith <laughs> to live upstate New York. And Walter came by my house, same Walter, to say goodbye. And I thought, well, this is odd. I mean, I, I love Walter, but I wasn't that close to him, you know. 
But he came by and I remember him. I remember where he was at. He was leaning against the kitchen counter. And he said, Went, I also want to tell you something. I don't, I don't want you to write another check to Baptist East Hospital. I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? He goes, I got a job in finance at Baptist East. And uh, we've, I've asked them to write off your debt. And they did. And so you tell me how in the world, you know, uh, uh, a degreeless accountant gets a job an hour and a half from his home at the hospital and the department that's in charge of my debt. You tell me how that happened. I don't know how it happens, but God did it, right? And for millennium, God has been taking the little that we have, all we have, and turning it into everything that we need. Amen? And God's still in the business of turning our nothing into something. And this is a great story of that in Matthew 15, 32. So I want us to stand in honor of God's word and read this together. Matthew 15, 32, what a story. True story. Words of God right here. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, well, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? That's the question this morning. They said seven and a few small fish and directing the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. I want to ask Josh Sturgis, who's celebrating his one-year anniversary with us today, so we can give Josh a round of applause. And he's still, of course, if y'all weren't at the business meeting, we voted to keep him on as our interim, our, our interim resident pastor for our students. And I'm so glad he starts seminary this fall. He and Annie, I believe. And so we're, we're blessed to have him. Josh? Let's pray. God, we just uh, bow before you humbly uh, this morning. And we just thank you um, for the opportunity we have to gather together as a family, as fellow believers, um, and just experience you in a new way this morning, God. I just, I pray for all of us in this room that, that whatever burdens, whatever uh, we have in our heart, um, that they might be standing in between us and you, God, that we would just lay those down in this moment, God, so that we can um, just experience you fully um, through, through the word and through song and through prayer. Um, God, let there not be any, uh, anything that, that stands in the way of us um, having an experience with you this morning. I pray for Wint. God, I pray that you speak through him in a mighty way. Um, God, and open our, our ears and our hearts to receive um, your word. God, we just love you so much. We thank you for Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. We thank you um, that we don't have to, to live condemned. God, that we get to live free from, from the debt of our sin. Um, and that, that Jesus paid that for us. God, we just praise you for that. We praise you um, for all that you do for us. God, there's so much that, that we have that we can be thankful for. Um, let us be thankful in, in that. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. And it's in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you. You can be seated. How many loaves you got, church? All right. That's the question in Matthew 15, 34. And what a miracle. 
And uh, why did Jesus ask, uh, uh, you know, about loaves, right? He's omniscient. You know, what was the root of this miracle? Well, the first point and the first verse this morning is the answer because our first point is he has compassion. Matthew 15, 32, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and have nothing, nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Church, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is compassionate. It's the attribute Satan's been trying to cover up since the beginning of time, since the Garden of Eden, where he said, did God really say that? God's out to get you. He's trying to keep knowledge from you. He's trying to make God not look good and compassionate, which we sang about this morning, right? There's no difficult interpretation here. Jesus wants his disciples to know why he wants to feed the people, and it's because he has compassion for them. This is the only story where Jesus uses this word word uh, in reference to himself. And he's not being arrogant, right? It means, because the word means to be moved in, his, in your inward parts. Over time, uh, the, this word, that word for, or it's from a word for organs, literally, your organs, your heart, your liver, your lungs, your kidneys, all your vital organs. Over time, they came to be, your organs in history came to be known as the seat of all your affections, all right? So in your inward, your inward parts. So there's both physical and spiritual needs here. And Jesus, both our physical and spiritual needs are the seat of Jesus' affections. And the first are the physical needs. And that's what sparked this particular feeding. You know, there's two different feedings, 5,000 and then 4,000, the two separate things. But with all the talk of the cost of discipleship, you know, for the last two weeks, we've been talking about the cost of discipleship. This is just a little reminder in the middle of all that, that though sacrifice is required to follow Christ, it doesn't mean he's not aware of our daily needs, right? Doesn't mean he worships us, right? Like, like some of us worship a favorite shirt or like Americans worship their animals, right? Or their own children. But it, it means Jesus has a deep, inward compassion for our basic needs. By the way, everyone in here, if you're still living at home, I know a lot of our students left to help with the kids. If you're living at home, before we ever even get to phones and cars and, and clothes and all that stuff, if you have a roof over your head and food on your plate, your family, those that home that you're living in, they're showing compassion to you. They're meeting your basic needs. And that alone is compassion. There doesn't have to be any more than that for them to show you compassion. You can never say you don't love me because there is love coming in that provision by itself. All right? Church, consider the fact that our simple daily provisions are part of his compassionate care. Matthew 6, 31, therefore don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He knows our needs. Church, there's literally nothing we need that God is not concerned with. If you have a general, uh, a basic daily need, God knows about it, he cares about it, and he's working to provide for it. And here's what's amazing. Jesus isn't feeding these masses so that they'll stick around. You know what I mean? He's not just feeding them so they'll follow him. 
right? They're already doing that. Matthew 15, 32, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Jesus is attentive to them. I've seen a lot of uh, TV evangelists and preachers, you know, I, and I hate this word, by the way, teaching pastors. That's in all the churches now, teaching pastors. Let me, there is only one pastor in scripture and they're, they're supposed to be apt to teach every one of them. So I don't know why they label them teaching pastors, administration pastors. There's just pastor. Right? And part of the role of a pastor is to shepherd and to care for the church. <laughs> I pray, I don't always do that perfectly. I, God's still working on me in that area. But we as believers need to be attentive to the needs of others. And obviously, God's all knowing, unless we see him as some earthly king who sits on his throne and throws breadcrumbs out of his little, his little carriage as he walks through the peasants, as he traipses through the peasants, groveling at his feet. Our king sees our need. He's not like kings and queens of old. Oh, he is, he is the king of old, isn't he? And church, the reason Jesus cares for our daily needs and the reason he cares for our physical hunger is because he experienced it himself. Matthew 4, verse 2, and after uh, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. But physical needs aren't the only needs he notices. Second are our spiritual needs, not second in importance, right? I think it's so telling that of the few places that Jesus uses this word for compassion, one is in the feeding of the 4,000, this story today where he's really focusing on the physical needs. And the other is at the earlier miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which is clearly for their spiritual need. In that story, this is the feeding of the 5,000, Mark six thirty four. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. There were physical needs, but there were also spiritual needs, right? The common lesson in both of these feedings, the 5,000 and the 4,000, is that Jesus is the bread of life. He doesn't just give the physical bread of life, he gives the spiritual bread of life. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness while fasting, he quoted this verse in Matthew 4, verse 4. God's compassion extends down to our basic physical needs, but also to our eternal spiritual needs. Church, listen, when we see our children and our neighbors, and all the needs of this world. We don't have to categorize the compassion uh, of Jesus in two different categories of like, well, social justice over here and spiritual justification over here. They're, they go together. We can want both at the same time, but let me tell you this, in the end, your little piece of bread to the poor is not going to get them into heaven. If the social needs that you're providing for don't include the gospel truth, then it's not good enough. It's fake love. It's temporary love. It's only scratching your back, right? Because you have this desire to give something away and to be generous. It's what, what they call today virtue signaling. <laughs> Pat on my own back. You got to give the gospel with it. We can give both. <laughs> and praise the Lord, we, we, we are. 
Right? Jesus has compassion, but second, we have excuses. Matthew 15, 33, and the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread? I mean, if, I don't know if you've noticed Jesus, but it's a pretty big crowd, right? And it's a desolate place to feed so great a crowd. Jesus said to them, well, how much, what you got? What you got? He said, well, I mean, we, we've got seven loaves and we've got a few small fish. So you've got two contrasts here between Jesus and his disciples. First, Jesus was unwilling in his compassion. Uh, now, sadly, there are, there are several occasions where the disciples showed their spiritual immaturity, you know, like with the woman at the well and in other places, they're, they're wondering what Jesus is up to. They're not really caring. They're, they're just oblivious. But I don't, I don't think that the disciples had zero compassion, right? I don't think they were just mean. I think that they're with Jesus, and so if you're following Jesus around, it's easy to get caught up in what I, I say a Christian in tow. You know what Christians in tow are? You know what to be in tow means? Towing a car, towing a kid, <laughs> uh, towing a boat. It means zero brain activity, right? It's like when you, you go somewhere, but you, you're, you know, you're following Google or you're, 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 you're not driving. And someone says, well, you know how to get here? You know how to get back? Well, no, I wasn't driving. I didn't pay attention to where we were going. I remember when I was a kid and I would follow my dad hunting in, uh, when we'd go hunting in the woods just before I was even carrying a gun. I was just so focused on put, putting my feet in his prints, you know, where he was stepping that I wasn't even looking up and I'd get slapped in the face by one of those limbs, right? But here's the thing. Once you get smacked right by a limb, you'd hope that you'd be ready the next time, be awake the next time. You'd think the disciples would say, you're right, Jesus. I, 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 they do look tired and hungry. I, I hadn't even realized how long they'd been with us. What do you think we should do, Jesus? That, that would have been a good response, right? Remember, in all of Jesus' questions, he's not just providing. He's, he's teaching his disciples something. And I believe that Jesus, in this moment, was teaching compassion and basic shepherding skills to his disciples. I'm always worried. I love seminary, but I'm always scared of seminary minds that don't see the connection to the local church. I tell people all the time, God's not coming back to get a seminary. God's not coming back to get you. He's coming back to get the bride of Christ. That's the church. And people who don't love the church <laughs> don't love Jesus because it's his family. It's his body. But I know we get spiritual brain fog sometimes, right? Right? So what do we do? Right? We should snap out of it and remember that God cares for the tired and hungry. Remember, uh, I believe that He wants us in this story to understand and have genuine concern for other people's needs. Eyes that see behind the, the masks of fake smiles. Right? <laughs> you know, we're smart enough to know that those posts on Facebook aren't real. Right? Unless it's the one crying, the kids crying. My favorite are the kids crying with Santa. I love when parents post those. I said, now that's a real picture. That's funny. Not for the parent at the time, but you know, for me, enjoying it at home, right? A mind that observes and chooses to serve. 
Church, one of my favorite phrases in this entire passage is Matthew 15, verse 32, where Jesus says, I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Early uh, in our marriage, I was traveling on Highway 78. I don't even, I don't even remember what for. And um, I looked on the side of the road, and there was an uh, elderly woman. Um, I could clearly see she was alone. She was out of gas. And unless you think this is about me doing something good and patting myself on the back, anyone <laughs> would pull over and help, an, uh, I hope, would pull over and help an elderly woman who's out of gas. And so I took her to the gas station, and I think I was filling you know, the little jug up and then filling, uh, putting some gas in my Jeep, too. And, uh, and she, I don't even remember how you paid back then, uh, it was the 90s, and uh, probably with gold ingot. And, uh, but anyway, so she was, she, was, uh, she was paying, she wanted to pay for it. And I said, no ma'am, no ma'am, I, I, got, I got it. No, no, I, I insist. I said, no, no, it's no trouble at all. And then she pulled the, the Mama Ace card out. She said, don't you rob my spiritual joy. And I looked at her and I said, you must know my mother. You know, because, she, you know, she's unwilling. Jesus said, I am unwilling to not care. And I don't know if he was kind of cutting off all the disciples' arguments ahead of time. You know what I mean? Like, hey, don't even argue with me about this one, okay? Just zip it. You know, because he's so used to them being, well, God, well, you know, you know, negative Nancy's everywhere. And so I just felt like <laughs> maybe he was. I don't know. But what I do know is he was not taking no for an answer. He was going to do something. And as followers of Christ and as the New Testament church, we as a church and as believers must be unwilling sometimes not to care. Sometimes we need to be overly insistent on displaying Christ-like compassion to others. Not like people who, no, I'll get the check. Oh, okay, thank you. You know what I mean? Oh, it's no problem. You know, you know those people that have a weak request, you know? You need to sneak up there and pay for that check yourself. Don't even let them know you. It's coming. My mom's still to this day. My mom's in her mid-70s. And I promise you, if you give my mom something, you're going to go home and she's going to text, she's going to call you and say, hey, there's a $20 bill in the ashtray. She's always slipping money, you know, and, and I love it. It's this, this unwillingness not to care. Now, I don't mean not, I don't mean forceful. All right. It can go too far. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, you know, you got to, there's a, there's a point uh, this Saturday, um, uh, uh, Andy Eschbach is going to lead a team uh, in care through prayer at 11 a.m. We're meeting Saturday in the parking lot right out here, just casual clothes. We're going to go out for an hour and we're just going to knock on doors in the surrounding areas and pray for people. All right. We, we don't take tracts. We don't take material from the church. We're not promoting our church. If they ask us, we're going to tell them about where we go to church. But we're not there as a church. We're there as believers, as a body of Christ, to love on people. But we're not being forceful. And by the way, if you're too scared to pray, well, you ain't got to do nothing. We go out in threes because we don't want to go out in twos and look like Jehovah's Witnesses. So we go out in threes <laughs> and uh, don't wear white. And no, I'm just kidding. And, um, and we go out and we knock on doors. And, uh, but if you want to just be there and observe in our team of three, just say your name and smile. That'll be enough. All right. And if we have an opportunity to share the gospel, we'll take it. But it's not forceful. Jesus isn't force feeding, right? But he is caring by force, the force that's put on his own heart. I'm going to do something, right? That word for unwilling means ready and wanting to act 
in doing what is best for another. Sometimes uh, people refuse a gift. We'll go to these doors next Saturday, 11 a.m. We're going to knock on doors and they'll go, uh, we just have a burden for this area and we're just wondering if there's anything we can pray for you about. Uh, uh, you know, family, job, uh, anything. No, I'm good. Okay. It's nice to meet you. Boom. It's not forceful. But we are unwilling not to go out. We're unwilling not to care. And, and y'all know uh, how we all get away with complaining, right? Uh, with um, sometimes by asking a series of negative questions, right? Um, Jesus wasn't taking no. He wasn't going to let any barrage toward him stop him. He was insistent on being compassionate, and we need to be that way. Second, the disciples were unwilling in their reply, right? The disciples didn't notice the hunger of the crowd, or they didn't care enough to say something about it, but Jesus did, and he was unwilling not to go. And instead of the reply, you're right, Lord, they released the floodgates uh, with a barrage of uh, glass half-empty questions. And by the way, we are all used to these glass half-empty questions, you know. They're, they're basically complaints disguised as reasonable discussion. Well, hey, let's talk about this. <laughs> you know, we try to make up other reasons we don't want to do something when the real reason is we just don't want to do it. And I'm not talking about taking a $10,000 vacation on a 23% interest credit card. Hey, babe, we need to probably talk about this one, right? You know, okay. But that's not what the disciples are doing here. Listen to their reply to Jesus's question, how many, you know, you know, we need to feed him. He, he's, he's, Jesus is moved with compassion and it's like someone's just said the most loving, caring thing in the world and your reply is this, well, where are we going to go to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd, right? There's nowhere to go, Jesus. The amount's too much, Jesus. Now, I, I, it's worthy to note that the feeding of the 5,000 was probably around 20,000 people in total with men, women, and children. And the feeding of the 4,000 wasn't much less than that. So it's a massive crowd, right? Shoot, when we had the uh, wild game dinner, we knew months in advance that we were going to have a crowd. And we prepared and prepared and had all, we had, you know, 30 volunteers in there helping. And it still took us an hour to feed 420 people, right? So, I, I mean, it's a big deal, but they had just seen Jesus feed more than that at the feeding of the 5,000. That was probably close to 20,000 people, right? This place is so desolate and the crowd's so huge. Why are you telling us this, Jesus? Why are you talking to us about your compassion? Now, church, listen. I don't think that the disciples didn't believe Jesus could provide. I don't think they'd forgotten the feeding of the 5,000. Here's what I think. I think they lacked the faith to see how their own involvement was going to be used in this provision. Does that make sense? Lord, I believe you can do it. I just don't see how I am supposed to be part of your solution. Now, church, some of us pray for miracles, right? But we often fail to see our involvement in the fulfillment of that miracle. I had a brother in this church call me this week and ask me to pray for me. And I told him, uh, you know, pray for that I finished my message Sunday. And I prayed to ask him to pray for a particular person's salvation. And you know, that guy was so full of faith that he asked me this morning, 
He said, well, and he named the name of the person. And I had forgotten about giving it him the name. He was thinking he could have been saved already because he's been praying for that person's salvation. That's, that's faith. Right? Yes, it's Jesus who multiplies the loaves and the fish, but who distributes it? That's our, that really leads to our next point. Jesus has compassion. We have excuses. But third, he has instructions, right? I love that after all the disciples' negativity, Jesus doesn't even acknowledge it. He just asks how many loaves you got. And by the way, he said loaves, but they answered with seven uh, and a few small fish, right? And, and this time they, they just answered the question, seven. And it, it is interesting that they added the negative. We only have a few. They're still being negative, right? Matthew 15, 34, how many loaves you got? God doesn't need what you don't have. He just asks for all that you do have. And if we will give Jesus all of the little we have, he's got some instructions for us. Verse 35, directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples <laughs> gave them to the crowds. Four instructions. Their instructions are simple to two different groups. Give all of our little Sit down and give thanks, <laughs> right? Because it's coming. And number four, become a distributor. I love that Jesus helps hesitant disciples become the heavenly waiters. <laughs> We're in a restaurant this week and Salem, said, Salem was watching the waiters and said, I want to be a waiter because they carry everything like this, you know. We're God's heavenly waiters. That's what we are. We were hesitant to trust him. <laughs> we find ourselves making excuses, but the next thing we know, uh, we're the ones passing out the Lord's food. The, the instructions were to the crowd and to the disciples. He showed compassion on the crowd because they'd been with him for three days. And he showed compassion on the disciples because, listen, they're like, hey, this is the last we got. We're going to be the next people starving. What are you worried about them for, Jesus? We're about to be out of food. And... Uh, you know, and by the way, these fish, the, the few small fish, we're not talking about, you know, blackfin tuna. I think we have a picture of this up here. Uh, I don't know who that is, but that is a heck of a fisherman right there. <laughs> My goodness. Okay, we're talking about, these weren't blackfin tuna. These were tiny little bitty fish, like, like Hunter caught on our men's fishing trip <laughs> with his Snoopy pole. You know, little bitty, actually smaller than that, little bitty sardines. Unless you think that our, our worship pastor's not manly, he, do, he did catch this as well. All right, now, hey, listen, let me tell you ladies something you need to know about all men. Every man in this room, we do have the largest fish we've ever caught in our recent photos, all right? It's, it's available to pull up at request. Because when I sent Hunter, I said, Hunter, send me a, the, uh, a picture of the smallest fish you've ever caught. That's the first picture he sent me was the biggest. <laughs> I was like, I was thinking of you with the Snoopy pole when we were on, because he brought a little Snoopy pole. So yeah. Anyway, these fish were tiny little things. The disciples only had a little food left. And I bet it was a test for them to hand that over. But the next thing you know, they're, they're distributors. They say there's three kinds of people in the world. Those who watch things happen, those who make things happen, and those who wonder what just happened. But God provides a fourth category in us as believers. Those empowered to help things happen. 
God helps hesitant disciples become heavenly waiters. In the feeding of the 5,000, Matthew 14, verse 16, Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. God, we ain't got nothing. Yes, you do. You've got everything in the storehouses of God to give everybody. You know that? You've got everything, church. You've got everything. If you're a, a blood-bought heir to God, if you're a believer, if you've repented of your sins and called on the name of Jesus, you have everything you need for eternal life. And that's what everyone needs. Well, he has compassion. We have excuses. He has instructions. And finally, we have leftovers. Matthew 15, 37. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. John 6.33 says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And unless we forget who that was, later, verse 48 of John 6, he says, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I just want to say uh, three quick things here as we wrap up. The bread of the Lord is first continuous. This verb translated as gave in the ESV, Matthew 15, 36, having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. It's, it's actually more literally translated as kept giving. Y'all think about how many times they, he sat the crowd. I mean, you've got a crowd of 15, 17,000 and you, at least. And how many times did the disciples have to go back and get another basket and go to the next group and go back and go back and they kept on giving, right? God's provisions are continuous. Secondly, they're satisfying. His leftovers are satisfying. Verse 37, they all ate and were satisfied. John 6, 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Which means he's not just the bread, he's the water to wash it down. <laughs> right? Isaiah 12, verse 3 says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. John 4, 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what do we do with that spring of water? John 7, 38, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So here we go again, becoming the distributors of the Lord's wealth. Church, our heart overflows because Christ has flooded the rivers of our souls. The people who serve, the 20% of the people who do 80% of the work in Piperton, we may have a little higher number than that. You folks who serve relentlessly, I know why you do it. Because you can't, there's nothing left in here to hold it. The banks of grace have breached. The dam has broken. And I cannot not do something. I have to serve the Lord in some capacity. I have to do it. You need to be beating down my door, begging me. What, what can I do? I want to do more. And there are people like that in this church who are saying and texting and asking, what do you need? What do you need? I have people every year calling me for financially saying, hey, what's the next need in the church? I have people calling me spiritually saying, hey, what's the next, you know, what, what, what's, a, what's a need in the church? Where's my niche? I want to serve more. I love that. That discontentment with not enough service. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, For I do, I do not know, uh, want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. 
Christ is a flood of spiritual food that's been following you. Your goodness is running after. We sang it this morning. Your goodness is running after me. I'm trying to get away from it with my own sin and wickedness, but you just keep pursuing me with a flood of goodness. Like people running behind me to give out gift cards. Hey, wait, wait. You just won the lottery. I don't want it. His goodness is running after us. It's, it's continuous. It's satisfying. And third, it's always more than enough. I'd say so. I think Jesus is making a very clear statement in Matthew 15, 37 of all the amounts that he could have left over. You know, they all ate and were satisfied and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Seven little loaves just happened to turn into seven basketfuls of leftovers. Do you think that was coincidence? Seven's the number of completion, by the way, in Scripture. How many loaves you got? Church, how many loaves do you got? Seven? Well, you got more than seven. You got all of them. <laughs> you got everything. It reminds me of the widow of Zarephath. I'll close with this story. Uh, it's a biblical story. In 1 Kings chapter 17, this is where Elijah is instructed in, in verse 9, Arise, go to Zarephath. I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Widows were some of the poorest people in the world back then. And Jesus says, I'm going to provide for you through the poorest person you've ever met. And he goes to the widow and she's gathering stuff up and he goes, hey, I, I want some water and some bread. She says, man, I, I'm gathering sticks right now to, to cook my last meal. And, and me and my son are about to starve to death. We're going to die. It literally says that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour wasn't spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Christ listen. Uh, church listen. Christ. Uh, uh, Christ already listening. It was enough. It was enough flour for the widow. It was enough food. It was enough manna in the wilderness. It was enough for the feeding of the 5,000. It was enough for the feeding of the 4,000. And it was enough blood to cover our wickedness. It's always enough. Your goodness is running after us. It's time we start feasting and distributing the leftovers of the Lord. Amen. Pick them up. <laughs> They're all around you. And distribute under the grace of God. Would you stand? God, you look on us and I don't understand it as, as wicked as we are, as sinful as we are, as prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's, here's my heart, Lord. Here's my loaves, Lord. <laughs> Take and multiply them. I don't have much, but I want to give you everything I've got. And Lord, I pray if there's people here today that have never called on the name of Jesus, they would understand you are compassionately pursuing them. You are meeting, you desire to meet their needs. Not just physically.
with a meal, but spiritually with eternity and forgiveness and freedom in Christ. And I pray right now, if there's people here that don't know you, they'd call on the name of Jesus and be saved. I also pray if there's people here that need to join this church, become part of this body, sign up to serve you in some way. We're not dictating how you're going to serve, but Lord, you can lead people in their spiritual gifts to serve in just the right place. I pray that you would bless it, Lord. Bless our time. God, if people are here and they're just Christians who are convicted of sin, that they would repent. Speak to you with words in their heart and say, God, forgive me for this. Forgive me for that, Lord. I am sorry. I want to be made whole. I want to be made right with you again. I've built a barrier between me and you and, and in my family, and I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. Cry out to God and talk to him. Use words. <laughs> Just like I tell my kids when they're fighting, don't, don't yell, use your words. Lord, we want to use our words with you. We don't want to fight with you. We don't want to argue with you. We don't want to tell you what you don't have. <laughs> we just want to give you all that we've got and let you multiply. And I pray we do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.piperdenbaptist.com.